All right, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Just by way of review, in chapter 23, if you remember from the last time we met, uh, David was living in the strongholds in the wilderness. And as he was hiding out from King Saul, because King Saul is trying to kill him, uh, the Ziphites told King Saul, hey, David's hiding here among us. He's, here he is. He's over here in this cave. And King Saul, actually trying to, uh, to be spiritual, act religious, King Saul said, uh, said, acted as if it was God's will that he find David and kill David. Remember, he said, blessed are you, you know, for telling, them, for telling King Saul where he was. And he was actually, you know, acting like, you know, the Lord's blessing me because now I can know where my enemy David is. Well, it just kind of showed us how skewed or how warped King Saul's perspective was of the situation. Remember, just to remind you, by King David was anointed to be king. He was going to be the next king of Israel. But King Saul is the current king, and we've read in our study through the book of 1 Samuel, well, he's, done some, some, he's made some bad choices. He hasn't chose to follow God. He's cho- chose to do things his own way. And we even read about it at a couple different points where you know, an evil spirit has come upon King Saul, and yet he's still holding the throne of, of Israel, and he has not been removed yet. And as a result of this, David, who's, been ra- who's being raised up, is following God, and he's made a few mistakes along the way and we watch them like we all do but David's being blessed because he's making good choices he's making good decisions he's really seeking after God's will as as he as he proceeds through this life and we talked about how how he's in this in this desert sort of time in his life where he's on the run can you imagine running from somebody that's trying to kill you every single day of your life for well we know that he ran from King Saul for about seven years so for this period, this long period of time, he's on the run from King Saul. And you can imagine it's starting to take its toll on, uh, on David. And as, as we left off last time we met, David was on one side of the mountain, Saul was on the other. And we talked about how David surely would imagine, listen, him and his few hundred men certainly weren't going to be any match for Saul and his entire army coming with him. But just as they were about to converge, just as they were about to, what I believe David was about to be captured, we read that, well, the Philistines attacked the land. And that forced Saul to forego his hunt for David and then go defend the land over the Philistines. Now, you think that was a coincidence? No. God was teaching David. He was training David. And we get to watch as David's training and teaching continues tonight. Because remember, David is known as a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't born that way. He became that way. Just the same way that you and I can become a man or a woman after God's own heart. But it takes these difficult seasons of life, it takes these desert seasons, it takes these hard times where we can really get tested and see what's inside of us. So if you would, look at chapter 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel, and he went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. You would like to think that David gets a break, and he does. But it's not long before his enemy, before King Saul, comes back looking for him again. When he returned from following the Philistines, when he finished up with the Philistines, they come after him, and David is hiding in the area of En Gedi. Now, we will see, those of us that are going to Israel in March will actually get to visit En Gedi. 
And En Gedi is a, it's a, it's a canyon or a valley area. It's very rocky, very rugged. There's a stream that runs down the middle of it. It runs west from the Dead Sea, and it has waterfalls in it. Along this rocky caves, there's these waterfalls that come along, and it almost looks like a little bit of a, of a tropical oasis within the desert because of the water. So we will actually get to visit there, but along the walls of this canyon are numerous caves, and they're hiding places. That's where David and his men could hide out, and they could hide in these caves, and it made, that, it, made it hard to find them. Now, David would like to think that he had a short break from chasing Saul. He'd like to think that it would last forever, but it's only temporary. Now, here's what I want you to remember about this. Here's the first point to remember for tonight. Your spiritual enemies will not give up, and any victory is only temporary. Think about that for a minute. You ever have an enemy in life? Maybe it's a spiritual enemy. Maybe it's something that's pursuing you spiritually, or maybe it's a physical enemy. Maybe you've had a coworker or somebody that's actually been physically after you in some way. Do they yet generally give up, or do they continue pursuing? They're going to continue pursuing, more than likely. We would like to think that our spiritual enemies who pursue us like Saul pursued David would simply just give up. And we wouldn't have to bother with them anymore. But even when we have victory and they are sent away, they come back and they will keep coming back until we go to glory with the Lord. In other words, what I'm saying is expect battles here on this earth. Expect spiritual battles and you can even expect physical battles. There will be people that say things about you, that talk about you, that do things to you. There will be people that engage you and they see, may even see you as an enemy. And we shouldn't be surprised by that in life. What we should look to is how do we handle that situation? You see, I don't doubt that in a room like this and the group that's here, I don't doubt that as I talk about enemies, you might, your mind might even go, yeah, I've got some enemies. I've got some people that have been after me. Maybe I say, I, I mention I a spiritual enemy, and you go, you know what, I've been really under attack lately. And I don't like to over-spiritualize something. Don't think every temptation is some full-out attack from Satan. But sometimes, you can, as a Christian, you can be under attack from Satan. You can be under attack from an enemy. You can be tried to pull away from your walk with the Lord. It makes it, you know... It, it's just something that we have to expect, and we shouldn't find ourselves surprised when you find yourself in a battle. Make sense? It's pretty common for us. Now, with David on the run and Saul in pursuit, let's watch as God's timing is not only perfect, but it's actually comical. It's actually a little comical tonight. Look at verse 3. So Saul came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Let me explain to you what that really means if you didn't catch it. David and his men are hiding in a sheepfold or a cave in Engedi. And a sheepfold was an area or a large cave where they could take a flock of sheep and place them inside the cave, either for protection at night or to get them out of the desert sun during the day. It was a, it was a large opening. So here we read that Saul came to the sheepfold by the road. There was a cave and he went in to attend to his needs. You say, wait a minute, Rob, what does that mean? What does it mean that he went in to attend to its needs? Well, some commentators, some people believe that he went in to go to the bathroom. More than likely, it's the second option, which I believe he went in to take a nap. He went in to rest. Because if you look at the Greek word for attend to his needs, it means, literally means uncover his feet. Take his shoes off. Kick back and relax a while. Get out of the desert sun. Cool off for a little bit. Rest a little bit. He went in, I believe, to just take a nap, to take a, take a relaxation. Now, do you think 
it's a coincidence that David and his men are hiding in the very same cave that Saul decides to go in and take a rest. What are the odds of him picking that very cave? Is it a coincidence? Did it happen by chance? Do you think it was just, oh, just David's just lucky that here comes, here comes Saul? Or maybe David's fearful because he's going to be trapped now. What are the odds that Saul would have to attend to his personal needs at the very moment he passed the specific cave that David was hiding in? It was no coincidence, but it was arranged by God. There are no coincidences with God. There are no accidents. There are no mistakes. There's no tardiness. There's no being early. God is always right on time. This is no coincidence, but it's arranged by God, and we're going to see that it's going to test David It's going to train David, and we're going to watch as David's heart after God is put on display for us to see. I want you to be clear tonight that Saul sees David as his enemy. And usually, if someone sees us, if someone was to see you as your enemy, wouldn't you see them as your enemy? If someone was trying to hurt you or trying to kill you, wouldn't you think, well, I'm going to have to kill them before they kill me? It's me or them. It's, 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 it's something I have to do. It's, it's one of us. We both can't. But I want you to understand something. There are no coincidences with God. And I want to show you how that applies to our life. That flat tire, that dead battery, that unexpected doctor's appointment could be the very thing that God's using in your life to test you. It could be the very thing that he's using to train us. You see, what God wants to do with these things that happen in our life, these unexpected things, and they happen pretty frequently, don't they? They happen pretty often. What it does, and I think the most valuable thing that it shows us, it shows us what's inside of us. You see, the way that we react, we like to blame it on the situation, but it's really what's inside of us that is now coming out. You know, if I shake up a Coke can and then pop the top, what happens? Everything inside comes out. Your life is the same way. If it gets shaken up, we're going to see what's inside you as you respond to what's brought about this shakeup in your life. Sometimes God puts us in certain situations just to show us what's inside of us so that we can see. He already knows. God already knows what's in our heart. He already knows what's inside of us, but he wants us to see how we react to these situations. Look at verse 4. The men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. This is an incredible opportunity for David. His very enemy, or so what people would consider his enemy, King Saul, who's trying to kill him, is now before him, and if I am right, he's taking a nap. He's resting. He's got his shoes off. He's just kicking back and relaxing. And the counsel from his friend says, hey, Dave, Dave, this is your chance. Go for it. Kill him. Wipe him out. Get rid of him. He's been trying to kill you for weeks now. We're tired of running. If you'll just kill him, David, then you can be the king and we can all get promoted and be your men like we have planned. Come on, David, just do it. Perhaps this is a promise to David. Maybe he heard this before. I'll deliver your enemies into your hand. Do you think David's going to be a man who follows the counsel of God or follows the logical counsel of his friends? You see, we're faced with that same situation. You're faced, we can, you and I can be faced with that. Will we be people who follow God's counsel? Will we do what God says to do or do we do what 
seems logical? Or do we do what our friends say? Where do we get our counsel from? When you're in a situation, you need to make a decision in your life. Who do you go to? Who do you go to? Do you go to your friends? Do you go to your old friends? Do you go to worldly friends? Do you go to your, maybe your parents? Or do you go to somebody who you know is going to give you biblical counsel? Who's going to tell you what the Bible would have you do? You see, chances are, if you're not careful, you're going to go to the person that will give you the counsel that you want to hear. And that's dangerous. Don't just go to the person who will give you the counsel that you want to hear. Go to the person that will give you the biblical counsel. Because it might not be what you want to hear, but it might be what you need to hear. It might be exactly what you need to hear. Don't listen just what you want to hear. If David was going to listen to his friends, he'd go up and kill Saul. Why not? Finally get rid of him. I can finally wipe him out. And he could even justify it, couldn't he? He could even say, well, I am anointed king over Israel. And certainly David didn't, even his friends didn't believe it was a coincidence that Saul was in that particular cave. There's no coincidence. Even they seem to say the day which the Lord has said to you. This is it, David. This is your chance over your enemies. Wipe him out. There's no coincidences here. God's given this to you. Write this down. Just because there's an opportunity before you does not mean it's from God. In your life, just because there's an opportunity before you does not mean it's the opportunity that God wants you to take. That's true about relationships, it's true about jobs, it's true about where you live, it's true about where you go to church, it's true about all of the points, all of the things in your life. Just because there's a good opportunity, a logical opportunity, just because it makes sense, just because, and we can justify it in a whole bunch of different ways, we have to fall back on this. Is this what God wants me to do? Is this what God, David could have said, listen, well, I know I'm supposed to be king, so I'll just wipe him out, that just puts me on the throne. I'm just doing what God wants me to do, right? He could justify it that way. But in fact, he'd have to commit murder to do that, wouldn't he? He'd have to sin to do that. If your opportunity requires you to sin, I can promise you it's not from God. Ever. Ever. If it, if it requires you to do something sketchy, if it requires you to tell a half-truth, if it requires to tell you something, it's not from God. It's not from God. Look at verse, the end of verse 4. And David arose secretly. He cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words. and He did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave And he went on his way. Now here's what I think happened. And please, this is just my opinion. I think as David's friends urged him to kill Saul, I think he started off in that direction. I think he picked up his sword. I think he snuck around. I think as he was creeping up to Saul, he got closer and closer. I think the Holy Spirit that was upon him was convicting him not to do that very thing. And I think when he got so close, he realized, I just cut a corner of his robe off. I gave him, I made him, made him a miniskirt. Just took part of his stuff off. I cut part of his, part of his robe off. But I want you to see something here. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. David's heart troubled him. It's his tender conscience. Why why would it trouble him? You'd think that he would be glad. I could do whatever I want to him. He's trying to kill me. But no, David's heart troubled him because he realized what he was doing was in opposition to what God would have him do. Even though the opportunity was present, even though the opportunity made sense, it was logical. It was him, my life, or his life. It was a life or death situation, so to speak. David chose to allow God's plan to play out. He, listen, his remarkably tender conscience 
many of us, many people would have, many would only be troubled they did not take the opportunity to kill Saul. Wouldn't you, you, you could think that many of us would go, as we watch Saul walk out of that cave, why didn't I just kill him? I should have killed him. Now he's going to be killing me. I have to run for how much longer now? I'm going to be on the run again. But David only cut off the corner of Saul's robe, yet his heart troubled him. Why, why? Why, why would you be bothered by that, David? Because the robe was a symbol of Saul's royal authority. The robe belonged to a king. The robe belonged to a king. And David felt bad, and rightly so, because according to the heart of God, that he had done anything against Saul, God's appointed authority. You see, that robe represented the fact that Saul was a king appointed to his kingship by God. It didn't matter what kind of king he was. It mattered that he held the office and he was there appointed by God. One commentator said this about it. F.B. Meyer suggested this. He said, it was a trifling matter about the corner of the robe. And yet it seemed dishonoring to God's anointed king. And as such, it hurt David to have done it. It hurt him. We sometimes in conversations and criticisms cut off a piece of a man's character or influence for good or standing in the esteem of others. Ought not our hearts to smite us for such thoughtless conduct? Ought we not make confession and reparation? What would you have done if it were Saul? What would you have done if your enemy was there? Would you have respected the office the man held like David did, knowing that he was appointed by God? Even if he wasn't living a godly life, even if he was going against God's will and he was trying to take your very own life? You see, there's the question that we as Christians must face. And we find it most commonly with the president of our United States in this country. Do we respect the office? Do we understand that God put the person there that's there? whether we like his decisions or not? Would you think that Saul was being a very good king right now? Matter of fact, he's neglected his kingdom and he's, chasing, he's spending all of his time chasing David. He's trying to wipe out David. Why does he want to wipe out David? Because he's jealous, because he's prideful, because David, because when he came home, the girls made a song about David and they said, Saul has sl- slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. The people like David better than Saul. That's why he wanted to wipe him out. That's why they wanted to do it. But David, on the other hand, do you see his heart? He tore a piece of the robe of the king, and he feels bad about it because he realized that robe represents an authoritative position that was established by God, and Saul was placed there by God. And he he said to himself, and I believe he said to himself, I'm not going to remove Saul from being king of Israel. God is going to have to remove Saul from being king of Israel. Even if David is next in line, David says, I'll risk my life on God's promise that I will be king and let God handle it as opposed to me handling it. David's heart to honor God is on display. We see it there. Put yourself in his position. What would you have done? Would you have killed your enemy when you had the opportunity? You see, most of us will never face that opportunity in a physical sense. We're not going to hide in the cave and have our enemy sneak in on us and have a chance to, to uh, you know, kill them. But what will we do with those people that we don't like with our mouths? What will we say about them? How will we talk about them? Will we cut them down? Will we take part of their robe? What about, what about when, it's, when it's a pastor? What about when it's somebody who's in a, in, a, in, a, in a church, somebody who's serving in a ministry, somebody who's trying to serve God and they're doing the best they can and we find something we don't like? Will we just cut them down? Cut them off with our mouth? Not only did David not kill Saul... 
he restrained his servants from doing it. And that's important. Because so often we have a tendency as human beings, I'm, my hands aren't dirty. Hey, if my guys do it, well, it's their fault. You know, I just, you know, I, I won't do it, but if one of my guys does it, well, you know, oh well, it's just the way it happens. Let him worry about it. Let one of my people do it. You know, it's not me. But David, in the man of integrity he is in this situation, says, nobody's going to touch Saul. We're going to let him walk out of here. What do you think his guys said? What are you, crazy, David? What do you think they told him afterwards? You, you, this is, you're insane, David. Why would, you, why would you do this? But David's heart is to honor God. And God puts Saul in that position, and David is not going to remove him. And he physically lets King Saul walk out of the cave. Let's him walk out. Look at verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth, and he bowed down. That's a little bit dangerous, don't you think? I mean, this is the guy that's trying to kill you. You could have killed him. It's, you know, you might think, well, look, David, look. It's okay that you didn't, all right, we'll get him another day. But to go out after him? Isn't that really taking your life into your own hands? And notice what it says. He stooped with his face to the earth. He stooped down, he put his face, he bowed before King Saul. It shows his great submission. It shows him placing himself underneath the authority of King Saul. He didn't come as an equal to King Saul. He didn't come in there and go, listen, you, know, I are, you and I are both anointed from one anointed guy to another anointed guy. Let me tell you what's going on in your life. Let me tell you what the problem is in your life. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me straighten you out a little bit, Saul. That's not how he does it. As he approaches King Saul, who's his father-in-law and one time his friend, he's got some things to say to him and he's very, very honest with him. But I want you to notice, because it's important, he approaches him from a position of submission. So often when we want to address something wrong in somebody else's life, how do we do it? From a position of authority, right? Couldn't David have said, listen, you know I'm going to be the next king of Israel. It's obvious. You've been chasing me. You can't catch me. God keeps getting, letting me slip out of your hands. It's, it's, it's perfectly clear. Now let me tell you something, Saul, about your own life. That's not what he says at all. Instead, he bows before him from this position of authority. Saul looks back. He calls him, my lord, the king. In verse 9, David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Why are you listening to what other people say about me, Saul? Why are you forming your opinion about me based on what other people are saying? Because had David done anything wrong to Saul? Not at all. He'd done nothing but support Saul. If we're not careful, we will let what somebody says about another person we will use what they say to form our opinion on that person. We have to be careful about that. If I hear somebody talking about this person in a bad way over there, and I let what they say about that person be my opinion on that person, I've made a big mistake. That's what King Saul's done. And it's driven him to jealousy. It's driven, driven him to pride so much, though, that he's trying to commit murder. He's had several attempts on David's life. I can remember several years ago when I was working in the police department, and I was training guys. I was, I was a, a training officer, a field training officer. We'd get together, and we'd have meetings. And every meeting, guess what the meeting, what the conversation always went to? Who were the good trainees, and who were the bad trainees? 
Now, I'd like to say that I never listened to anything that was said in those meetings, but unfortunately I did. But I tried not to let what other people were saying about somebody's performance affect my way of evaluating them. I wanted to have an honest opinion of them. And so often as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't let what somebody else says about another person change or influence the way that you feel about that person. And please don't be the person talking about the other person. There's usually no need for that. That becomes gossip. If I'm putting somebody down, I probably shouldn't be doing it. I should, if anybody has a right to put Saul down, it's David right now. He could put him down in a number of ways, but he's not choosing that way. Now, I want to tell you that this area of Scripture, when David says, why do you listen to the words of, men who, of, of the men who say, indeed, David seeks you harm? Many commentators, many of them, think that this is David showing kindness intact to Saul. They don't think that Saul was really being told this about David. They think that David's giving Saul a way out. He's putting the blame for what Saul's doing back on the counsel that Saul has received. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying, he, they, they, they believe that David knew exactly why Saul wanted him dead. David knew what Saul was after him for. He knew about it. He knew about the song that was written about him. He knew about Saul's pride and jealousy. But, Saul, but David was giving Saul this way out. He was giving Saul an opportunity. Why? Because would it, would it do any good for David to stand up and point a finger at Saul right now and prove that he's right? What would happen? He'd probably be dead. Saul probably would have been another attempt on his life. But in his humble way that he's approaching Saul, and he's really going to address a sin in Saul's life. As he's addressing the problems in Saul's life, he does it from a position of humility, he does it from a position of respect, and he even gives Saul this way out where he says, listen, everybody else has told you this about me, so why are you believing it? Why don't you go back to what you know to be true about me? And the same thing works for us. When someone's talking bad about somebody else and your opinion is tending to be shaped by that comment or those comments, why don't you go back to what you know to be true about the person? Not what you heard about the person. You see, here David, is he's, he's prudently and he modestly translates the fault from Saul to his followers and evil counselors. So he's given Saul that out. He's saying, listen, Saul, these people told you bad things about me. You believed them. So let's work through this. Now I want you to take note of how a man after God's own heart treats his enemy. Remember, David's a man after God's own heart. Saul's tried to kill him a number of times. David could have killed Saul, and I want you to notice how he addresses him. And I want you to put yourself and think of what would you say if you had an enemy chasing you for a long time, you finally had the chance, and you didn't. And now you come out of the cave, you're going to approach him, and you're going to tell him that you had a chance to kill him. How would you do it? I think I'd be a little sarcastic. That's just, my, that's just my personality. I think I'd be a little, probably a little arrogant about it. But I want you to see how David, a man after God's own heart, responds. He says in verse 10, Look, Saul, this day your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. Someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father... See? Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe, and I did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. 
Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom the king of Israel come out. Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge. And judge between you and me. And see and plead my case. And deliver me out of your hand. The Lord's anointed. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into the hand. The phrase, the Lord's anointed, it's become sort of vogue among some Christians and among many Christian leaders. And here's how it's used. You should never speak against a pastor or a leader. He's above your criticism or rebuke, so just keep quiet. Maybe you've been part of a church or denomination where they talk about, oh, so-and-so is anointed. He's an anointed one. You can't speak negatively against me. Don't confront him. Don't, 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 don't say anything bad about him. It's, been, it's used oftentimes. Sometimes it's even used to prevent a biblical evaluation of a teaching. But when David, I want you to see something here. When David recognized that Saul was the Lord's anointed and he refused to harm him, what David would not do is kill Saul. He wouldn't kill him. He did humbly confront Saul. He did humbly confront Saul with his sin, hoping Saul would change his heart. Now, let me explain this to you. It's been part of churches for a long time where they'll say so-and-so pastor, so-and-so person, so-and-so minister is they're anointed. And whatever they say, because they're anointed, goes. And you're not even allowed to confront them or you know, question them from a biblical standpoint. Do you think that's right? I don't. I think it's completely wrong. I think it's, it's entirely wrong for people to use this idea of someone being anointed so that the idea that they're out of touch, they're, they're insulated from, from a leader, they, you know, all of a sudden they can't be evaluated, there's no accountability. I think that's completely wrong. There has to be accountability. There has to be something. You know, if you were to come to me after church and say, listen, you, know, you, you, you misquoted the Bible, you, know, you said something wrong, and I made a mistake, I'll apologize for it. I'm not perfect. I've, I've misquoted before, and I've said things that, you know, when you get up here and start talking, you say things, sometimes you're wondering, what did I just say that for? But just because somebody is anointed by the Lord doesn't mean that they're above accountability. Doesn't mean they're above uh, anybody saying something bad about them. Saul, Saul, or I'm sorry, David is confronting Saul with what he's doing wrong in his life. So this very phrase, and if you've never heard it and have no idea what I'm talking about, just don't worry about it. But if you've never heard, oh, he's anointed, you can't do that. You can't approach him in that way. You can't say that. They won't believe something negative because he's anointed. David is approaching him. He didn't kill him, but he's still calling him out for his sin. He still calls him out. When David says to him, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father sees. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. David is saying, when he says, moreover, my father sees. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. No, and see. There's no evil. There's no rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life and take it. Remember, the robe was a symbol of Saul's royalty. The cut robe is proof to Saul that David had the opportunity to kill him. That's what it is. You see, by, by, by David cutting off a piece of Saul's robe, when Saul comes back and David can say, I could have killed you, Saul could have said, no, you couldn't. You never snuck up on me. And he holds up his robe. Look, I cut part of your robe. Now, maybe Saul took the robe off and laid down. We don't know those details. Whatever it was, he got close enough to where Saul was. 
to cut up. Maybe he rolled it up as a pillow. We don't know what he did with it. Maybe he was still wearing it. Whatever it was, David got close enough to Saul to cut off that corner of his robe. But listen, the cut robe also indicates Saul's royal authority is being torn away from him. By the fact that his very symbol of royalty is now cut and in David's hand, it shows that his royal authority is being torn away and it's now being held by David. In 1 Samuel 15, verses 27 and 28, the prophet Samuel rebuked Saul for his hard-hearted disobedience to God. In his distress, Saul tried to keep Samuel from leaving, and he grabbed his robe, and a portion of the prophet's robe tore away. I'm sure Saul remembers this at this time. When Saul was left holding the torn piece of Samuel's robe, Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Now when David confronts Saul with the torn robe, Saul must be reminded of this incident. And God's message to him is now loud and clear. That his kingdom, the nation Israel, is being torn away. And David is the neighbor who's holding that piece of the robe. Look at verse 12. Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. David said, let God handle the situation, Saul. Let let God be the judge. Will you let God, Saul, just let God judge between us. Do we let God handle our enemies? Or do we want to handle them ourselves? You see, David could have taken the matter into his own hands, but he didn't. Why let God handle those people that seem to be coming against me? Why let God handle those enemies in my life? Or do do I find a need to... Put the screws to them, to stick it to them really good. Are you plotting their destruction? Are your enemies consuming you? Do you find yourself, does somebody do something wrong to you and you find yourself sitting there thinking about how you can get back at them? How you're planning, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Is it just me? Because I do that sometimes. You guys are like that, I know, we're all sinners. But I want to be a man after God's own heart. Look at how David's responding in this situation. He had his chance. He, turned, he left it in God's hands. There's a lesson for us there to learn. Verse 13 is the proverb of ancient says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. In other words, what David's saying, Listen, Saul, if I was wicked, I would have killed you. But my hand's not against you. In other words, David's telling God, or telling Saul, I'm trusting God. He's going to deliver me out of your hands. I don't have to be afraid of you. I don't have to, you know, I have to, maybe I have to run. But God's the one that's going to protect me. This is important because I want you to get this. Would we say that David's in the middle of a trial right here? We could say that he's in the middle of a big test, right? But I want you to show you something. David does not try to find his own way out of his trial. He doesn't try to find his own way out. He's not trying to find, do this or plan and do that. He trusted in God to deliver him instead of trusting in himself. That's important. Because as Christians, we too will find ourselves in trials, in difficult situations, in hardships. And oftentimes our first prayer is, God, get me out of this. God, no, make it end. Stop. Make it end. And then you start to plan, how can I get out of it? What can I do? Well, if I do this, maybe this will happen. And if I do that, maybe that will happen. If I can do this, maybe that will happen. That's not what a man after God's own heart does. A man or a woman after God's own heart says, God, it's in your hands. You deal with it. You worry about my enemy. You worry about the problem that I'm facing today. You handle it, God. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to give it to you. 
Because common, or I'm not going to rely on common sense. I'm not going to rely on logic. I'm not going to rely on just opportunity that is before me. Because common sense, logic, and opportunity would, lead, would have led Saul or David to put a spear into Saul, wouldn't it? But that's not what David does. Look at verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul. Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. You have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Although David was Saul's enemy, it's clear that David just proved that Saul was not his enemy. Although Saul was hunting David, David was not hunting Saul. David was concerned about being obedient to God. If it meant being on the run, if it meant living in the desert, if it meant being betrayed by his friends, because we've seen that as well, whatever it meant, if it meant letting a good opportunity pass by, an opportunity to kill the guy that's trying to kill you, all of those things, David said, that's fine. I would choose to follow God. I choose to stand on the promise of God saying I'll be king rather than me take matters into my own hand and make me king. Because David could have done that. He could have put a spear in Saul and his men would have come out and guess what? He'd have been the next king of Israel. But he didn't try to find his way out of his own trial or his own testing. And what we see come out here is his heart after God. By truly having that desire, Saul responds emotionally because this fact is sinking in. The kingdom's being torn from me. He had a chance to kill me and he didn't. So he's weeping. It says that he wept and he calls him his son. He was actually his son-in-law. He responds emotionally. So often we make someone an enemy just because they're pursuing us. Let's be like David and let God sort it out. Just because somebody tries to do wrong to you, just because somebody says something about you, let's be like David and let God handle it. Let's let God worry about our reputation as believers. Let's let God worry about what people are saying about us. Let's not worry about it ourselves. Let's not try to sculpt it or you know, form it into something we think it should be. May we just heap coals of kindness upon them. That's what David did. Just heap coals of kindness on Saul's head. Could have killed him, but he didn't. And look at verse 20 as Saul comes with the realization. And now I know indeed you shall surely be king. And the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. I believe as Saul, as David held that torn robe, Saul's mind went back to him tearing Samuel's robe and him realizing, now I know, now I know that you really will be king. Saul realizes and he admits that David will be the next king of Israel. Notice he also realizes the fact on who's establishing the kingdom. The kingdom shall be established in your hand. Saul is realizing the kingdom belongs to God. God will put the kingdom into David's hand. Therefore, swear now to me, the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. And that day, when, a royal house, when one royal house replaced another, it was common for the incoming king to kill everybody else. Why? Because they didn't want his sons coming up, taking a shot at wanting to be king one day. They would kill everybody. Saul knew that one day David and his descendants would rule over Israel. And he wants David to promise 
promise not to kill or mistreat the descendants of Saul. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Notice David didn't go back home with Saul. Although they reconciled, the reconciliation will be short because Saul will again attempt David's life because his emotional response won't last forever. Although he was moved by emotion, once he gets home and he gets around counsel of friends, once he's going to try to put a stop to what God is doing, and it's impossible, you can't stop what God's doing. I want to share something, and I want to close with this thought. David, in this difficult situation, he was being trained, he was being tested, but it was also a chance for him to see what was inside of his heart. When you and I find ourselves in difficult situations in life, it's the exact same thing. How will you handle tomorrow's problem? What will come out of you? What words will come out of you? What thoughts will come out of you? What is it that you're going to pour forth? And I want you to realize that while that problem might seem like a coincidence or just bad luck, if you will, there are no coincidences with God. There's a reason for that. Maybe it's a timing issue. Just like Saul had to stop at a specific time to walk into the cave. Maybe it's an issue where God wants to show you what's really inside of you. How do you really react? Because we're told out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, that might be the time for us to look. And what do you do when you, when you, when you have that situation? What do you do when you have that flat tire you find yourself kicking the tire and mad and yelling and screaming and acting like a fool? You ever, had, you ever done that? No, nobody, huh? I can remember one time when we were still living in Florida, we had a weed whacker, you know, a weed trimmer. Some of you know this story, I guess. I'm going to tell it again because it, 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 it illustrates this perfectly. Every time this weed whacker, I went to start it, it would never start, you know, and it was, one, it was an expensive one. I, you know, you pay more, you get what you pay for, so you bought the best one, you think it's going to work really good. Well, one day I'm, I'm down there in the garage and we had a driveway and, and I'm down there trying to start this thing and I'm getting madder and madder and madder. Every time I pull this cord, I've about had it with this thing. So uh, all of a sudden, I, just, I had it. I, I, I pitched it right out, the, right out the garage door, hit the driveway and slid right into the street. And here comes my neighbor pulling out of the driveway. You know, it stops right in front. I got to go down, pick up my weed whacker that's in front of his car now and bring it back. I was mad. What came out that day? Exactly what was inside. Was it the weed whacker's fault that I got angry? No, it was my fault that I got angry. Was it the weed whacker's fault that I said the things that I said? No, it was my fault. But we like to blame it on everybody else and everything else, don't we? Remember this. When you find yourself exploding, when you find yourself blowing up, it's inside of you. It's just now coming out. God wants to deal with what's inside of you. He wants you to be able to stand in a situation like David was in and not get upset. And not ask a bunch of questions. Not huff and puff and complain. Not call everybody and, and tell them, you can't believe what happened to me today. Not, it, it, he just wants you to deal with it and realize, I'm doing something here. Whether it be a timing issue, whether he's showing you something, he wants us to grow closer to him. And he wants to show us that these are the things inside of us that we need to get rid of if we want to be used by God. We need to move past them. We need to, throw, we need to, we need to move through them. We don't blame everybody for them. We accept responsibility for our actions. It was my fault the weed whacker ended up in the street that day, not the neighbor's fault. Then I had to go explain to him and apologize to him and tell him I forgot what I told him, but it was rather embarrassing for me. And I could blame it on my day. I could blame it on my circumstances. But the result was, the, re the truth was, it was just what was inside of me that was coming out. 
And I realized at that point, I needed to repent. I needed to say, Lord, there's something inside of me that needs to be fixed. There's something inside of me that needs to be, that needs to be addressed. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to get mad at this every time something doesn't go the way that I want it to go. Because that's really what it is, right? I wanted the weed whacker to start. It didn't start, so it got pitched into the street. What is it that doesn't do it your way? When something doesn't do it the way you want it to do, what happens? You get mad. When my kids don't do what I want to do, I can get mad sometimes. Because it becomes a selfish, prideful thing. When, if people would do everything the way that I wanted to do, I would never get mad, right? What about traffic? Well, I know we don't have much traffic around here, but go to a city where there's traffic. And watch the, that we've even got a term for it. It's called road rage now. Watch how people get mad. Why? Because the drivers in front of them aren't doing what they want them to do. Because they think they're in control. They think they're in charge. And what's inside of them is now coming out of them. Remember this week with what's inside of you, when it starts to come out, either realize, I need to fix what's inside of me. Or praise God that the right stuff is coming out. That the, that the peace is coming out. That the patience is coming out. All those things are coming out. Because we really do have a choice. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open it and study it, Lord, and what a blessing it's been to study David and here in 1 Samuel and so many lessons that we've learned. And Lord, I just pray that you would show us what's inside of us. And as we leave here tonight and tomorrow and through the weekend, Lord, may, may we just be aware of that, of those things that are coming out of us. May we just see, may we see what other people see coming out of us, Lord. May it be uh, something for us to evaluate and if it's, if it's good, may we give you praise. If it's, if it's bad, Lord, may we replace it with you. And uh, just lead us as we, as we do that. May we always be evaluating ourselves, asking the question, you know, am I rightly representing God with the things that I'm saying, with the things that I'm doing? Or instead, am I living in bondage to, to lies? Am I believing lies of the enemy uh, in, in these areas? And Father, I just thank you for, the, for your word and the work that you're doing in our lives. May you, just, uh, may you minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.